Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, so before we get into today's episode, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language, and I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences, and he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the founder and CEO of Online Taxman, a U.S. tax accounting firm that provides hassle-free U.S. tax preparation services online to expat and international entrepreneurs. He also founded Global Expat Advisors, a sister company that specializes in global structuring and offshoring solutions. Prior to starting his own firm, he served as a partner at Four Corners, Inc., where he advised high net worth individuals in private equity investing and tax matters. He also worked in audit, tax, and valuation at PricewaterhouseCoopers, involved in Fortune 100 audit engagements and M&A transactions. He has a Master of Accounting and a Bachelor of Business Administration. Please welcome to the show, Vincenzo Villamina. Vincenzo, how are you? I'm doing awesome, Mikel. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Vincenzo, why don't you take a couple minutes and kind of walk us through your backstory? I'm really interested how you got involved in not just, you know, being a CPA, being an accountant, but, you know, how you decided to do that specifically for expats. Sure. Yeah, no, so so it's been, I've been at this for for about 10 years. I mean, basically, I I was working in New York at the time, right? So as you sort of went through my my background, I used to work at at PwC. 
Um, sort of doing a range of, of, of some M&A stuff, some tax stuff, some valuation. And, um, you know, that whole time when I was working there, I also sort of, you know, start doing taxes a little bit on the side for, for friends and, and family, et cetera. You know, had a, a free copy of TurboTax as an as a, uh, employee of the firm. And, um, you know, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, things really hit the fan in 2008, right? And so, you know, at 2008, 2009, 2010, I was working. Actually, at that point, I switched to a private equity firm. And, and you know, the beginning, or I should say midway through 2010, um, things just weren't really going well. I mean, the market was still horrible. We couldn't raise money. And um, just the writing was on the wall that uh, I was going to be out of a job soon. My, my bosses had left. And so I decided to uh, just pack my bags and, and leave, right? And not just leave the firm, but uh, leave New York, right? Because I'm sort of a believer if you're going to do something drastic, you might as well just go all in on it. <laughs> Definitely. And so uh, I went down to Buenos Aires and um, you know, I had some friends there. Moved to Buenos Aires just sort of on the, the, the notion of let me learn Spanish. Let me have that sort of e pray love moment of my life. And, uh, you know, there I am in Buenos Aires, really having nothing to do, you know, and I obviously still had this tax background. And that's really when I saw the, uh, the niche for, for the expats, right? And, you know, you had a bunch of expats down there that had nothing, that had, you know, no idea what to do with their taxes. And, uh, you know, here I am basically, you know, broken penniless. And, uh, you know, obviously I had to do something. So started, started the, the site, OnlineTaxMan.com. Right, built it down there with the developer, and uh, just started marketing it to the local expats and um, and even uh, you know online, right? Just Google AdWords, etc. And then you know from there, just had this uh, this eureka moment where um, you know people started finding me online, right? Just through ads and through just you know really just just hustling and and, and trying to to get clients wherever I could, right? Um, and and that's where it all started. So, you know, for a few for a few years, I was really a one man shop. Um, and then, to the credit of my business partner, who's an old friend of mine from Michigan, from 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 you know university, you know, he came down there too, and we sort of grown the business uh, to where it is today. You know, we have 15 employees, and and sort of have have grown into this you know big firm. We're not you know huge, but obviously helping a lot of people, a lot of expats around the world. Um, and then also helping with the offshore structuring stuff through uh, Global Expat Advisors. So that's the best type of businesses, the ones that you actually go and you see a problem and you try to solve the problem. Because I know that, and we can get into this in a minute, but you know, taxes for expats and these types of things, it's just different. Like a lot of the mom and pop accounting firms down the street, you know, in Canada, we have like H&R Block. I'm not sure if they're in the States. But, you know, they're not going to know really how to deal with these types of tax situations, I think. Yeah. No, I agree. They, they, they don't. And um, I'll tell you a little addendum to that story, actually, which is kind of funny, just because you brought up H&R Block. So right when I was sort of, you know, still working in New York, too, I went to one of those, uh, like, Liberty Tax, which I think is in Canada, too. It's the H&R Block equivalent. And... Um, I uh, I went to one of those sort of uh, you know meetings where they try to get people uh, into uh, you know to be uh, investors and and whatnot, right? Um, and so I went and I actually I, I showed up late. Uh, actually, I missed the meeting um, because I was uh, I was working at the time, right? And um, I ended up meeting the CEO of uh, 
of 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 it, which was uh, his name was John Hewitt. He actually started Jackson Hewitt, and then and then and then um, and then Liberty, right? So I'm basically there, and it was a dinner with all the other franchisors, people that were already involved in, in in the company, and so and then I was telling him, I said, well. You know, I, I've actually started doing like online tax preparation, right? And this is when I was sort of living in New York and, you know, I was in the same city with, 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 with friends and clients, but they never, uh, they never, you know, wanted to even meet me, even though we were in the same city because, you know, everyone's doing stuff in New York, right? Everyone's busy. They have their own lives, work, family, whatever. And I said, you know, so I kind of have this notion of, you know, maybe people want to do their taxes online. Maybe they don't want to go to, uh you know, a store, an office to do their taxes. And the guy just completely threw out my idea, right? He's like, no, you know, that, that relationship with an accountant and, and, a, and a client is sacred. People want to know their account and feel them because of the, you know, the, 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 how, how important it is to file taxes and just completely just poo-pooed on my idea. And what year was this? This is back in 20, 2009, 2010. And you know, and it was funny because, I mean, you know, nowadays it's like people, I mean, people do this stuff online all the time, right? I mean, expats need to, but even, yeah, that sort of notion of the mom and pop relationship, yeah, it somewhat exists. I mean, some people do really want that, but nowadays, whether you're living in the same city or, or, or a different country, people are fine. I mean, like we have a lot of domestic clients that are completely fine doing it, even though they have access to local accountants, just because just convenient for them and we give them good service. Right. So, but it is sort of trying to solve the problem, you know? Well, I think it's amazing that how many businesses have been underestimated the changes that will go online and how things will change. And I think that we'll see more and more of this with artificial intelligence and robotics and, and maybe this, you know, it's not directly applicable to accounting. Well, maybe not yet, but you know, Business is changing all over the world. We're, we're at a point where things that were done in one way, for maybe for hundreds, maybe for thousands of years, literally are going to change overnight. And, you know, the writing is on the wall. And if people are not looking at their own businesses, you know, like I say, shame on you because, you know, the information is out there. You know, you just have to be a little bit innovative. So good for you for 2009, you know, seeing the trend before some of the, the monster companies that are out there ever did. Yeah. No, listen, I mean, you have to sort of spot the trend. You have to sort of embrace technology. And it doesn't mean that you have to be the first mover, but you have to really see how it's going to apply to your business model and, and do it well, right? I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes even, you know, f- from the initial uh, onset, right, where I had sort of my own back end, et cetera, and sort of try to build out, you know, a custom back end and, you know, candidly, you know, spent a lot of money doing that. And then after a few years, um, ended up sort of using uh, like box.com and some other, you know, applications that sort of have already perfected it. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, it always comes to sort of trial and error, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, you do have to embrace technology and sort of be, um, you know, able to, to, to go with it. It's all right. For one of my first websites, I had it custom built by a programmer when, you know, I think I spent probably 20 or $30,000 when literally I could have used a theme, a WordPress theme for 49 bucks, and the WordPress theme would have looked better. And I just had no idea. I just thought that that was the way. When I looked online, when I talked to IT people, that, you know, you ask a programmer what he wants to do, he wants to program. You ask a, a surgeon what he wants to do, he wants to cut, you know? If I had have looked around a little bit more, 
you know, I could have saved myself a lot of time, a lot of money. So, but it's, it's important to make mistakes like that, you know. But you live and you learn, right? I mean, I think the point is, is that if you, if you learn from your mistakes, whatever the cost was, I mean, that was the price of an education. That was the, the sort of a life experience of, well, like, listen, I mean, I got to understand how to manage a development team. I sort of understood the basics of, of testing, you know, website and, and, and how that works and sort of doing sprints and, 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 and how to outline it for these people for them to do it uh, properly. And I mean, we still do a lot of development now. I mean, we obviously, um, yeah, use a lot of other softwares, but it's still sort of, you, know, you, learn, you learn from these, these experiences, right? Which is the most important thing. Absolutely. So I want to jump in a little bit and maybe you can outline or maybe bullet points. What are some of the big differences from taxes for someone who lives domestically in the United States to an expat, someone who lives overseas? What are those big things that people should keep in mind? And maybe this is like a little bit of a plug for your own business because I try to shake people and, and explain to them that they need a accountant who specializes in offshore taxes or expat taxes because I believe that there is some big differences. Yeah, no, there are. Um, I think the biggest difference, right, is if you move outside the United States, um, you could qualify for the foreign income exclusion, right? This is for U.S. citizens. So, um, which means that you are allowed to not pay tax or exempt from paying income tax on the first $105,000, right? So anyone who sort of either, you know, sets up a residency in another country and, and, and spends you know, pretty much most of their time there and gets a visa, bank account, et cetera, or somebody who basically is just nomading around but spends 330 days out of a 365-day period outside the United States, they're only in the U.S. for 35 days, then you could qualify for this foreign income exclusion, right? And so, you know, people that are, um, I mean, you could be a W-2 employee, you can be just you know, starting out, you know, starting your own business or doing sort of some independent contracting and just sort of trying to, you know, build up your book of business. Um, you know, I mean, saving you know, 20, 30 grand on Fed plus, you know, state income tax is a lot of money, especially for people that are doing a startup um, or, yeah, like I said, building out their sort of client base, which is, you know, essentially also how, how I ended up, you know, being able to throw money back into my business was because A, you know, the cost of living in Argentina at the time, and still is for that matter, super cheap. And B, yeah, I was saving on taxes. I was basically living tax-free. So, you know, listen, I mean, you could be young or old or, or you know, have an established business or not. But I mean, listen, money is money. So saving, yeah, like 30 grand a year um, and potentially more is, uh, is worth it. Um, so I think that's the bit, biggest thing for being next bad. I mean, there's other things like... If you're paying tax in another country, um, you can get a foreign tax credit uh, in the United States. And, and obviously, that's important so that you don't get double taxed. Um, oh, and then finally, uh, again, living abroad or investing abroad. And, and if you do have foreign bank accounts or if you have even foreign companies or trusts or whatever, um, there's a lot of filing requirements, a lot of reporting requirements. So... Uh, you have to basically report to the IRS or the really the U.S. government. It's the it's the office of a uh, financial crimes enforcement unit, which sounds even worse than it is. But basically, uh, if you have a a a bank account or a series of bank accounts that the highest balances and some are over ten thousand dollars, you have to report it on what's known as the FBAR to this unit. And um, again, it's sort of they were really set out to to 
to go after people that are hiding money in the Swiss Alps. But unfortunately, um, a lot of people are, you know, obviously affected and have to, uh, and have to report, um, you know, on this FBAR forum. But again, it's only reporting. It's not like you're going to get extra tax or that it's illegal to, to have foreign bank accounts or to invest abroad, et cetera. But, you know, you just really have to know what you're doing, right? I mean, and that's sort of obviously the whole point is that, I mean, there's really good accountants out there in the U.S., but they might not be uh, up to speed on all the, uh, all the, all the laws and, and, and the final requirements uh, that expats need to do. Well, and I think of it kind of like this, you know, and, and I will use another doctor metaphor, but, you know, I wouldn't go to my dermatologist if I have, you know, a problem with my back and I wouldn't go to, um, you know, a, someone who deals with feet for a problem with my teeth or something like that. Like, Different professionals have different specialities. They might all be doctors, but they have something different they specialize in. You know, an accountant, you know, will be an accountant, will be an accountant, but there's going to be so many different types of specialities within that one field that, you know, no one person can know anything or everything in the world, you know. So choose your specialist. You know, if you live overseas and you need, ex if you need taxes done for expats specifically, go to a specialist. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree. So, I mean, we, listen, I mean, we, we see a lot of botched up returns from local, uh, from, from local CPAs and, and sort of go and fix them and whatnot. So, I mean, obviously it just helps us sort of prove um, that there is specially required and that there is sort of a level of expertise. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think with anything, you do want to go to a specialist, right? And, and, and the same thing for people that are starting your, their, their own business, right? I mean, you want to be a specialist in something. A lot of people... I get, I get to help a lot of entrepreneurs just as they're starting their business. And I always try to, you know, give them unsolicited business advice. And one of the things I always say is, listen, you should really niche down on something, right? I mean, niche down on a certain industry. Um, like we're getting a CRM, uh, Zoho, which is a pretty popular CRM, but there's a bunch of people that help Salesforce, right? Like programmers, developers. There's literally no one that does Zoho, right? And, and we found this one guy that's Zoho expert. He has a podcast, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, what a niche. I mean, the guy basically sold us in Soho. Uh, but, you know, it's, that's the point. Like, really niche down and see what industry or what area that you don't see a lot of competition. And that's where you focus on when you're starting a business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I want to ask, what are some of the myths Cause I, for people who file? Because I hear all the time, and it's, it's so funny. I'll be out traveling somewhere. I'll meet an American, and we'll be chit-chatting and, you know, as often does with me, the topic of money comes up. And, you know, we'll talk about taxes and different things like that. And the excuses or the, or the reasons or the myths that I've heard from people of why they do not need to file are hilarious. So I've heard some that, you know, because uh, I haven't been to the United States in more than 10 years, I don't need to fall, file. Um, because I make less than $100,000 a year, I don't need to file. Because A, B, C, D, F, G, they don't need to file. Maybe you can set the record straight. If you're an American citizen or a green card holder, uh, who, who has to file? Who has to file, Vincenzo? Yeah, so if you're a U.S. citizen um, and if you're single making over $12,000, if you're married filing uh, jointly and you're making over $24,000, if you're married filing separately and you're making over $300, then you have to file. 300. So the, the, the threshold is 
extraordinarily low. Which is crazy, yeah. Um, if you are self-employed, regardless of you know married, joint, or single, if you're self-employed, right, and you get sort of a 1099 miscellaneous, if you make over $600, you have to file. So you're right. A lot of people, especially the expats, say, oh, well, I'm under the foreign income exclusion. Yeah, yeah, I don't have to file. Or, oh, I heard about this $100,000 thing, so I'm under it. I don't need to file. No, you still need to file. You just don't need to pay any income tax. And then the other thing that people think is, oh, well, okay, cool. I'm under 100000 Right. I, I don't need to pay the tax. But then if you, if you do have a 1099 miscellaneous, right, if you are an independent contractor, self-employed, you're out of the, the, the uh, you know, income tax if you're under 100000 But you might have to owe self-employment tax, right, which is uh, basically 15%. And that's what goes towards Social Security and Medicare. And if you make enough, then, you know, technically you should probably get a, an, an LLC S-Corp situation so that that would optimize for self-employment. Um, yeah, the other thing, again, is the sort of bank account uh, issue, right? So everyone's like, oh, well, my bank account, yeah, I have a few accounts. They're all under $10,000. It's fine. And uh, it's like, well, it has to be the sum of the, of the aggregate amount, the highest balances. So you have one account that's the highest balance is $5,000 in July. You have another account, the highest balance is $6,000 in September. Well, you know, the sum of that is 11000 So that means you have to file both accounts, even though, you know, they never went over 10000 individually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of myths, a lot of, a lot of stuff out there, too. You know, people look on Google and, and, and whatnot. And, and Google is like, you know, your best friend and your worst enemy, right? Because, yeah, there's a lot of really good information out there. Um, and it's good to sort of use it as a baseline and, and smarten up a bit. But then there's a lot of misinformation, right? And the same thing with these Facebook groups, et cetera. Like there's some people that actually do know what they're talking about. And I mean, I'm on the Facebook group. There's, there's some expat Facebook groups that there are professionals that are qualified, know what they're talking about. But then there's a lot of other, you know, trolls or people that are just misinformed, right? So just sort of take everything with a grain of salt and uh, yeah, and, and talk to a professional at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting that, and, and you know, you mentioned lots of people can save ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars on their taxes, and then the rewards are so high for doing it with a professional. But I've seen people trying to skimp and save, and you know, save fifty bucks on the accountant. You know, it's like, no, just pay a professional, get it done right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, I, I think. Uh... You know, everyone wants to save money, but I, I, that's one thing that I've sort of learned over over time is that there's some things you don't really skimp on. You don't really skimp on lawyers. You don't really skimp on accountants. You don't really skimp on actually developers either, right? Uh, you don't really skimp on like contractors, right? I mean, it's good to sort of, you know, contrast and compare, but there are certain things that you just have to really be... Um, be aware of because if, if, if you do, yeah, I mean, the quality of the work is down and, and then you could stuff for long term. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree on that. You know, people sort of learn the hard way, but that's, uh, like I said, we all learn lessons in life, right? We, we, we agree on that. So just sort of learn it and then hopefully correct your behavior. Well, and then from the other side, like, well, what are the negatives? What are, what are the downsides if someone does this wrong, if they don't file or they file incorrectly or they're not filing their FBAR? Like, how bad can things get for people? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's, um, 
there's uh, there's fines out there. So if you don't file your FBAR, you don't file like your 5471 for a foreign company, um, you know, the IRS does fine $10,000, um, you know, to people. Now, I'm not one to sort of be, you know, scare people, et cetera. So, I mean, I've gotten out of these fines, but it's true. I mean, I do get, you know, people get alarming letters, you know, for these big fines. And, you know, it's it's obviously also a bit of a, an annoyance to have to abate them, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, the IRS has definitely sort of had a renewed look on expats. I mean, they're, they've, if that's one of the only areas within the IRS that they've actually hired more people um, is sort of the international compliance. And, you know, over the last really 10 years, and this has actually also been a, a luck or a testament to the business, is that, you know, there's been, you know, with FATCA and, and just the, the banks, you know, having people uh, sign forms, skin and compliance, there's been a real push both in the U.S. and then around the world with uh, CRS, which is Common Reporting Standards, um, for basic countries to track their citizens around the world, where their bank accounts are, uh, you know, how much are in the bank accounts, et cetera. So it's not just for Americans, but generally, yeah, worldwide, I mean, there's no secrecy, right? I mean, bank secrecy is gone. And so, and I go to these conferences with other professionals, not just from the U.S., but around the world. And people are, you know, trying to come up with the latest and greatest structure and, and oh, this works, that works. But, I mean, at the end of the day, and especially as American, like, you really should report, right? I mean, there's smart ways to, you know, go about it. If you have, a, a, let's say, a, a trusted individual or, or a spouse that's, a, you know, not American citizen, not a, a U.S. tax resident, with what's known as NRA, not a resident alien. Um, you know, there's there's ways to put things in their name uh, in order to uh, not have to report them, et cetera. But I mean, don't, you know, yeah, don't get it wrong. Um, it's certainly, yeah, like I said, secrecy is gone and uh, you, you people really do need to report because the IRS is, is serious about the compliance. Well, as my friend Joel Nagel says, it's not about hide and seek. It's about show and tell these days. There you go. Joe's, Joe's a smart man. It's true. It is about show and tell. It's totally true. And, and that's it. You show and you tell and, and you try and play the game. I mean, you know, to me, it's one of the best things I love about this. this what, what I do is that this is a game of chess. Okay. And, you know, you, you're, you're, yeah, you have to show your cards, but you could also play strategically and you can also play by the rules and still win. Okay. You just have to do it the right way. Now, I have heard from some of my other accountant friends who've had clients and they've tried to re-enter the United States. Maybe they've been living overseas as an expat for an extended period of time. They haven't been filing and they're suspected of owing uh, large amounts of tax to the IRS. They, they land in the, in the airport and someone's there to talk to them and they basically confiscate their passport. Have you seen anything like this happen? The IRS confiscating passports? My new book, Expat Secrets, is based on my own experiences from traveling to more than 100 countries over the last 20 years of being an expat. There is no fluff in this book, just actionable advice from someone who leads this type of lifestyle every single day. So if you want to pay zero taxes, live overseas, and make giant piles of money, then I want you to grab a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com.
I, uh, I've seen it. I've seen it uh, once or twice, right? I, I did have a client who uh, landed, and uh, they gave him some issues at the border. He was allowed to enter the United States, and then an IRS agent showed up at his doorstep uh, the next day. Um, he worked for an American school, so he had some, you know, he had a level of tracking. You know, he got a W two or, or some, yeah, some documents, and. Uh, you know, still chose not to file for whatever reason, and, and they did get him. Um, but that was a few years ago. So more recently, um, it, the IRS issued a decree that if you owe over $50,000, that you would right, get your passport taken or would it be reissued? And um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't, I didn't know that money, but I mean, I did actually just go to a foreign embassy and get my passport renewed, and they did you know, they did do all sorts of name checks, et cetera. So I would have to imagine that they, they are enforcing that. Um, yeah, especially getting fast-forwarded. Because that just sounds like the worst nightmare to me. Like, I can just imagine, you know, someone who's got their, their wife and their kids wherever they're living, Colombia or Argentina or something like that, and they go back to visit their family in the States, they get stopped at the border and their passport's taken away from them because they're suspected of owing money to the IRS. And my understanding is that you may or you may not owe. You know, it, it's the, the suspected part that I think really grates me. Um, I just think that would be the worst. Yeah, yeah. No, and you're, you're, you're completely right, Mikhail. I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's also just the fact that, you know, now you have to go through the bureaucracy of trying to sort out whether you owe or not, file the return, get the return accepted, get the, uh, you know, get the lien lifted. I mean, I will tell you the worst part of my job is actually having to call the IRS to deal with the IRS because it's always a, it's a crapshoot, right? You get some very qualified people that are very helpful with the IRS and you get people that really don't care and are, you know, super nasty and just mean and, and you know, don't want to help you. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, I mean, I had, I had a client actually a few years ago who, again, there was an issue with him filing the 5471 for his foreign corporations. He owed $140,000 to the IRS. I mean, it took us three years to get out of that penalty, just getting bounced from one person to the other person to the other person. And we finally beat it. I mean, literally $440,000 swept away, um, you know, wiped off clean on his record. But it, this stuff takes a while. And so I think that's the thing is, you know, you're, you could get your passport taken away and you could, you know, have it, I mean, not have a passport for six months. I mean, maybe even more. I mean, it's, it's just that bad, the bureaucracy of the IRS. That's the point. Yeah, and then the stress, it's not something like that would induce. And then how are you supposed to be building your business? Like, I try to live the most stress-free life possible so that I can focus on my business, you know, and not get bogged down by other stuff. If I lost my passport, oh my God, that would just stress me to the max. That would suck. I mean, you know, you couldn't go back for anything. It would just be, yeah, it would be, it would not be good. So <laughs> avoid that. Try, try to be in compliance and, uh, and then you won't have any issues. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. Absolutely. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the structuring, because I know that with uh, Global Expat Advisors, you focus more on corporate structures. Maybe you can walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so Global Expat Advisors sort of, you know, yeah, focuses on, on structures, whether it's, you know, trusts for, for estate planning, for asset protection, um, 
you know, people that are opening up foreign companies for, uh, for ads protection or, you know, estate planning also meaning, let's say you have multiple, um, you know, assets around the world, right? You have real estate in Panama, you have some, um, some pharma, some farm investments in Thailand, uh, you know, stuff in Colombia, this, that, right? And you, you sort of have diversified yourself around the world. Congratulations. But the problem is when somebody who has all these investments passes away and it's all in their name, then they need to go to each country and do the court systems and go to probate. Now, that could all be avoided if you, let's say, had a holding company, uh, you know, in a place that also offers asset protection like Belize or Nevis. And so then in your will, basically, no, the shares are essentially bequeathed to your, your next akin. So you don't have to go to uh, probate in all these countries. Your, your, your next akin just basically has the shares of the, of the offshore company, right? So that's one example. Um, another example would be for uh, the entrepreneurs that, that, that have a global business right, that have employees around the world other than the United States that live outside the United States and plan on living outside the United States. And it's not a one-man shop. It's somebody who, like I said, has employees that could be, you know, having uh, services. They could have, a, you know, IP or an information product. Um, it doesn't really matter other than the fact that they um, essentially have everything outside the United States and the business is being managed uh, from outside the United States, right? Uh, if you do that, if you have that scenario, then um, you could set up a structure where you have a U.S. C corp that owns an offshore company uh, in a jurisdiction like Hong Kong or Singapore or Malta. I mean, one of these sort of you know low tax, no tax jurisdictions, and you can um, have an effective tax rate of ten and a half percent, and you could pay yourself a hundred thousand dollars salary. Uh, which is subject to the foreign income exclusion and um, and not subject to any sort of self-employment tax, so no 15% Social Security and Medicare. Um, and you could essentially accumulate wealth uh, within that foreign company or that C-Corp that's the shareholder. Um, this is the sort of structure that the Apples and the Googles of the world had. Uh, in fact, before the Trump tax plan, it used to be where you could um, you know, uh, keep the money offshore and, and it could accumulate sort of tax-deferred. Uh, then Trump uh, did the tax plan, which is a very big you know, piece of legislation, which essentially let all these companies and all these entrepreneurs bring it back to the United States at a 15% one-time tax. Uh, and now the new plan, which again mocks the Google and Apple of the world, is where you have a C-Corp, a U.S. C-Corp that owns an offshore company, and you get this sort of effective tax rate of 10.5%. So, you know, those are the sort of uh, structures that we help people set up. Um, you know, if they, if they qualify and meet sort of the requirements of, of doing so. Um, and then other, other, you know, other structures, like I said, an S corp or people that want to invest in the United States, et cetera. But the point is, is global expat advisor sort of does the, the smart, uh, structure of people, uh, and then online tax man sort of does all the compliance aspect uh, going forward. That makes sense. I think it's important to talk about a couple of the other benefits and, and one that I, I don't hear a lot of people talk about in the offshore space is kind of the ease of doing business. And correct me if I'm wrong, but say, for example, you had a guy from Germany and another guy from Japan, and they wanted to start a business together. 
if they took the business and they started it in Japan and there was any, ever any dispute between the two of them, it had to be done in Japanese courts, it would be a massive disadvantage for the guy from Germany, you know, and same as vice versa. But I think that if you put it in an offshore jurisdiction, you know, it's a little bit more of a level playing field. And I think of things like that, you know, with businesses and business structures that can help. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, especially when you look at sort of the asset protection side, right? Um, I think that, you know, again, if, if, if somebody's going to sort of, let's say, go after you for a slip and fall or, you know, these sort of ambulance chaser lawyers, right? And then they see that, let's say, most of your, most of your, your, your money that they're trying to go after is not in the U.S., but in an offshore company. And then they have to go and, and hire a legal firm, uh, you know, down in Belize or Nevis. You know that's something that they that that's deterred. But you're right. I mean, even the the, the cost of doing business or banking in a place, uh, you know, like Hong Kong, for example, you know, is very easy. Um, and so for people that are doing business in Asia, you know, looking at Hong Kong and Singapore for that, or um, yeah, or or even in Europe in Balta, where where there are sort of really very pro business uh, laws, etc. That yeah, I mean, those are those two examples where. Yeah, doing these sort of "quote unquote" offshore companies would be uh, would be an would be advantageous. So, what would be some of the countries that you would recommend for different situations? You know, like I think we have a lot of people who listen to the show, who are you know consultants and online coaches. We have a lot of people who do drop shipping businesses, you know, and e-commerce businesses. What are the different types of structures or dif- different jurisdictions? You know, I know that you can't give individual tax advice, you know, on a program like this, but just in a general sense. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, right? Um, like I said, we like Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, you know, I mean, Hong Kong is good for people that are sort of drop shipping out of China, just sort of the, the, the ease of doing business between Hong Kong and China. Uh, yeah, Singapore, Malta, um, you know, in the Caribbean, BVI is a good one. Um, and the Nevis and Belize for asset protection. So, uh, yeah, ultimately, I mean, I think it depends on a few factors, right? One is, um, you know, sort of, you know, what, what country are you living in, right? And, and if there's a tax treaty or, or, or if you need a tax treaty with, let's say, this country um, that you incorporate in. Uh, yeah, number two, sort of what's most important, right? I mean, do you, you need to take credit cards? Uh, can you just have bank transfers? You know, sort of some of these online banking like solutions like TransferWise or PayPal are okay. Um, yeah. And then sort of what are your goals or where are your clients, right? So like I said, I mean, you know, Hong Kong is good for drop shipping from China. Um, you know, people that have, uh, uh, you know, European setups. So like, for example, um, we see a lot of people that have the uh, residency in Portugal via the uh, non-habitual residency program. We've seen a lot of them set up in, uh, in Malta to the Malta tax regime. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors to think about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are some sort of bullet points, at least, to, to think through for the individuals listening out there. And then, I guess, a follow-up to that, you know, and I think you quickly mentioned it, but, you know, the merchant accounts and the banking accounts, you know, even things like payroll, sometimes I, I find are quite difficult. I've seen different structures where, you know, maybe you might have a Wyoming LLC, and then you might have an offshore company, and you do all your payroll through the states, and your banking and the merchant accounts through the states. Do you work in any of those fashions? Yeah, yeah, that's that's another structure that we've worked with. So um, 
what it is is basically uh, an offshore company owns a Wyoming LLC that's a disregarded entity. And so because it's a disregarded entity, technically, um, everything is done through the, uh, the LLC, at least from a banking perspective. But technically, you're still operating via the offshore company. So, um, so yeah, that, that's, that's another structure that we've also seen and, and, and help people organize. So that's like a pass-through entity. Exactly. I find these things super interesting, even though, you know, I'm not an accountant or a lawyer or anything like that. I like to try to understand some of this stuff, but it's so interesting to have someone like you on the show who actually does specifically this for a living and, you know, run your own company around this. Yeah. No, listen, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating to see, um, you know, the, the, how different countries view different structures and sort of trying to play that game um of uh yeah like i said chess really as far as trying to figure out you know what is the best route and and, and way to uh to optimize one's tax situation and and i think it's important that people uh that people really think about uh taxes right because you know as an entrepreneur you know, everyone's always thinking about well you know how can i market more right how can i get more customers more revenue and 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 sort of go on the offensive but you know it's also important to play defense Right. I mean, I mean, by, by setting up an optimal structure, you know, you are saving, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, um, you know, by 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 setting up a structure. And, you know, obviously, in turn, you could you know, put more money towards towards marketing or towards, uh, you know, hiring people, et cetera. So people sort of do forget about the, you know, playing defense when when they're, you know, in the in the in the trenches trying to. Uh, you're trying to build their business. Well, and I'm sure I'll brutalize this quote by big time, but I think it was Lao Tzu who said that he tries to figure out how he can not lose first before anything else. When going into a confrontation, how can I not lose? And I think that's a lot with the asset protection, you know, and with these types of structures and with the taxes, you know. Get that firm ground underneath you first and then be able to grow, you know, and go to the moon. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, not not losing is good. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, have you seen any like trends or things that you know change over time with the structures and with these types of things? You know, is it one of those industries where things come and go, where it progresses? I'm really curious about this. Um, you know, I think um, you know, it's always changed. I mean, you know countries or even states for that matter always trying to sort of compete you know as far as who to attract people right to come and and, and set up uh structures in those uh in those companies and those in those countries right so even even like wyoming right i mean you look at like 10 plus years ago wyoming you know it was all about delaware and now sort of wyoming has come in and made it a lot easier a lot quicker a lot cheaper for people to uh to open up llc's and corporations um, so people started going with Wyoming, right? Cause they're both tax free. Right. And, and, you know, even though Delaware might have more case law, more history, if you're not really in a litigious, uh, environment, um, then Wyoming would, would, you know, be perfectly suited for people's needs. Right. Um, you know, same thing with, with Singapore over the years or even Malta sort of coming in and, 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 uh, and making it easier for people sort of banking wise, um, et cetera. Uh, to open up there and 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 cost efficient. Although actually, the malt is actually on the more expensive side. But 
again, Malta has a lot of treaty benefits. They have sort of this tax back program. So, you know, whether it looks, you know, initially you're paying 30% taxes, uh, but then actually you get most of that money back. Um, and that's a very interesting program because it sort of you know, plays with, you know, treaty articles, et cetera, and, and makes it very attractive for companies to set up there. Um, you know, same thing with the, with the, the whole notion of cryptocurrency, right? You have, uh, you know, Malta or Bahamas or, and Estonia, all these company, uh, countries trying to sort of you know, have very pro crypto laws, um, to, to attract, uh, you know, that crowd. Um, you know, same thing with Puerto Rico, right? We haven't even talked about Puerto Rico. I mean, Puerto Rico has uh, a very specific regime for Americans that you could go and set up a, a, a company in Puerto Rico, sort of outsource management services to the United States, which basically means you could sort of just get paid to your Puerto Rican company for doing services that you'd normally do in the United States. And then that Puerto Rican company is subject to 4% taxes. And then you, you know, get a tax-free dividend, right? And then on top of that, Puerto Rico made it more attractive for people in trading and, you know, in finance because all the capital gains are tax-free, right? So Puerto Rico actually has positioned itself in a very unique situation, even compared to people that want to move abroad um, because you don't have to pay any capital gains tax, right? So there's all these sort of, com- yeah, countries and, 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 and uh states and, and wherever that are trying to compete for people to move there or, uh, you know, get residency there. I mean, that's, you know, the other side of, of this um, is sort of residencies, right? And, 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 and people getting citizenships uh, in other countries, right? And it's the same notion that please, you know, come invest, uh, buy real estate, whatever it is, um, and we'll give you a residency, we'll give you a path to citizenship, we'll just outright give you citizenship. Um, and, and there's countries coming out with new, uh, new programs, you know, every month. I mean, it's really just sort of crazy how, uh, how it's come to this. I mean, but, you know, like I said, if you're on top of this, um, yeah, I mean, you can find opportunities to, to, to save on taxes, get residency, so on and so forth. Well, and then with the Puerto Rico, you know, I think that's the act 20 act 22, right? I think we could probably do an entire podcast episode just on that one uh, system or that one program, because I know that you work a ton with the Puerto Rico, um, you know, and I would love to learn from you about that. Maybe another time we can dig into that one. Yeah, no, we should. I mean, that's a whole new, yeah, I mean, that's a whole whole other set of of rules. But uh, but like I said, I mean, Puerto Rico sort of made it very attractive uh, for people to move down there. Um, you know, you have to spend at least half the year in Puerto Rico or at least spend more time in Puerto Rico than the United States. So I have people that sort of go between Puerto Rico and some other foreign countries. But yeah, like I'm saying, Act 2022 um, offers some tremendous benefits that you can't get anywhere else. Now, do you think that those programs will stay active? I've heard so many rumors that they'll be closing down. And, you know, I think that's maybe why I haven't jumped into that type of thing and wrote too much about it or researched too much about it. Because I heard these rumors that they might not continue. Yeah. No, I mean, you know what? For a while, I was actually very much sort of like on the same train as you as far as, yeah, let's see what happens. Because they they had a bunch of other very different tax incentives in like the the 70s, 80s, 90s uh, that they got rid of. Um, but, um, you know, they actually just sort of revamped the laws 
um, for the Act 2022. So, and this was something you know more official, where it was a decree by uh, uh, you know the Congress governing officials down there. So, I'm actually now more of a firm believer that that um, that that's here to stay. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to need to learn more about that. Maybe we'll have to schedule something because I, th- I think it is a really fascinating program. And it's so easy for, I think, Americans because, you know, you don't have to have special permission to live in the country, you know, because it's an overseas territory. You know, if you want to go and live in Europe or something like that, it's a lot more difficult, um, you know, to move overseas as an expat in a lot of places in the world. Yeah, and it's also just, I think mean, the other big thing too is it's it's really good for people that, you know, need to spend a significant time in Puerto Rico, uh, in, in the U.S., right? So, you know, sort of, like I said, you could do sort of halfway in Puerto Rico, halfway out in the United States, right? So people that have, you know, clients or other business interests, so they can't really fully move outside the United States, like, you know, becoming an official expat, then, uh, then Puerto Rico is a really good option. Well, it's a lot easier than the physical presence test at that 300. Right, exactly. Days. You know what I mean? So that's exactly my point. It's a lot easier to just sort of be halfway in, halfway out. Um, you know, you really have to still show that your sphere of influence, so to speak, has moved to Puerto Rico and that you're there in Puerto Rico. But again, it gives you that flexibility to go back. And a lot of people sort of, I mean, there's tons of flights. Uh, so yeah, it's really easy for people to sort of you know, go back to the United States for business or personal reasons. Well, and I know a lot of the, the crypto millionaires, a lot of them have moved to Puerto Rico. Um, what's the big advantages from the crypto space in either that place or maybe somewhere else in the world that's even better? Yeah, so the crypto, the, 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 the big thing behind the, the, the crypto side is because of the capital gains, right? And, and so, you know, again, if you're holding on to Bitcoin that you bought at, you know, $100, right? And you have these large capital gains, you can move to Puerto Rico. And, uh, you know, from the time that you were in Puerto Rico, you could sort of pro rata the, the exclusion of the capital gains, right? So if I, was, uh, if I held um, something for uh, five years and, you know, I was in Puerto Rico for three years and, you know, in the U.S. for two years, then, you know, then three-fifths of the capital gain would be excluded once I sold it. So that's sort of what it is for for private investments. And, and there's actually a debate there about how crypto is classified, but to yeah, high level um, capital gains, at least partially would be partially excluded um, by, by, by moving to Puerto Rico. So that's why a lot of the Puerto Rican uh, crypto guys have moved there. So with that one, it really is important for people to make a decision pretty quickly about what they're going to be doing. Cause that could end up being huge amounts of money if they're staying stateside. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, it's a big, yeah, I mean, it's a big decision and people need to really make it. Um, I mean, especially so for, even for this year, you would, in, in order to be qualified for a Puerto Rican resident for 2020, you have to move there on the, on the, on the first half of the year, right? So, I mean, I, I'm still fielding calls from people and I'm like, listen, if you want to do it for 2020, then yeah, you basically have until July to do it in order to sort of qualify and be, be in Puerto Rico for, the, for, for half the year. How has the IRS been with the cryptocurrencies? Have they figured out what's going? Are the, are the laws pretty straight now on, on how things are going to be taxed? Yeah, um, they're straighter, uh, meaning that they did finally just release some new guidance uh, in October of 2019, right? So, I mean, for years, 
the ICPA and accountants, we were all asking for sort of more guidance because they released some some guidance years ago and then Bitcoin really boomed uh, or crypto in general really boomed in 2017. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's guidance about, um, you know, what's known as uh, like LIFO versus FIFO versus specific identification, right? Which means that you could sort of identify specific uh, crypto transactions and say, okay, that's that's going to be the capital gain when I bought X Bitcoin in this date and then I sold it in that date as opposed to doing sort of, you know, first in, first out where, um, you know, that you basically, you know, judge the transaction on, on when the, the first time you bought Bitcoin is, is sort of the first time you sold Bitcoin or last in, first out, which is sort of the, the latest sale. Um was was the latest purchase. So I mean, they they had all sorts. There was a big debate basically about you know, how it would be classified, and um, you know, it left a lot of accountants sort of in the dark or sort and you know, subject to sort of their own ter- interpretation. And then that guidance has finally been uh, been released. Um, so it's a lot more clear now. Um, there's still very specific uh, questions about about some specific nuances, but yeah, the IRS is sort of finally uh finally finally decided on things and and um there's been a lot more compliance behind it right i mean the irs has sort of started they, they've subpoenaed records from uh you know places like uh, coinbase etc and so i mean we at the end of last year we had tons of clients that got letters from the irs saying you know hey we know that you have crypto you better be reporting it sort of trying to scare people that didn't report or into reporting it um, so it's definitely a renewed focus um, and it's definitely something the IRS is looking on and, 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 you know, I mean, like I said, they've, they've sent out letters, we've seen some enforcement and we're sort of expecting more as time goes on. Yeah, because I know it was just such a mess for a while. No one was really sure what was going on. You know, I've been in the space for, I guess, since 2016 or something like that. And, you know, it hasn't been very clear how things are taxed. So I'm glad to see that, you know, that transparency and that clarity is coming through, um, even if it's not all fully worked out. Um, because yeah. people need to under- understand these situations before they get into it and can set themselves up, like we said earlier, from a place of strength. Yeah, totally. I mean, listen, it was the biggest mess, candidly. Um, and a lot of the exchanges, especially the ones that aren't U.S. and weren't scared by the IRS, I mean, the, 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 the way, you know, the data and the record cre- keeping of people that bought into crypto was was just horrific. So um, it was, uh, yeah, you know, it was, there was a time where it was very difficult to uh, to sort of try to mine data and, and come up with uh, capital gains for, for people. And, like, it's gotten better. But I would just say, you know, people that are looking to invest in crypto, et cetera, um, just keep really good records because um, – I think that's the biggest thing that uh, was is sort of lacking and still is lacking is record keeping on this stuff. So I want to circle back a little bit. Um, I want to talk to you about opportunity zones. Now, we talked about different types of jurisdictions, but this is a little bit different. So I want you to kind of dig into that for me and maybe you can enlighten some of my audience on how these work. Yeah, so opportunity zones were actually, uh, it's, it's a new concept um, that came out with the, with the Trump tax bill. Um, and it is for so there's there's special there's areas actually in every state um and funny enough uh the island of puerto rico 
um, is actually pretty much all a, a, a entirely designated opportunity zone other than a couple uh, select neighborhoods. Um, but it, what it is is that it's for um, certain areas of the United States or of the states that um, need, uh, you know, sort of that are dilapidated or, or blighted. Um, and, 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 and it's to encourage people to invest um, in these, these areas. Um, and now, first, I must say that, you know, even looking at some of the maps and even, you know, through some personal investments that I've done, not all of these areas are really truly blighted. I mean, there's definitely been some, you know, jerry-rigging with, uh, by the local uh, governments to, to include um, some areas that really aren't that bad. So it is important to sort of look at the different census tracts and see that some actually are really good areas. Uh, but what it encouraged was for people to uh, invest either in real estate or in local businesses there. Um, and to defer capital gains, right? So what, what happens is for somebody who, who, who had a big capital gain, whether it's uh, in the stock market, whether it's uh, 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 real estate, et cetera, or even selling your own company, um, you can roll it into an opportunity zone fund, as they call it. And uh, you have to do it within 180 days, uh, but you can roll it into a fund and you could essentially defer that tax for 10 years. Right, so you could roll it over to a fund, not have to pay tax on that capital gain for ten years. Um, you could actually reduce the the the, the capital gain tax by ten percent if you keep it in that uh, investment for eight years, and then after ten years, you can sell that opportunity zone investment. So the actual investment that 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 is in the opportunity zone can be sold. Uh, and, 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 and be tax-free. So, so, so the subsequent investment actually will be tax-free, and then you get to tax defer and potentially discount the capital gains on the original investment that you rolled over in the opportunity zone. Um, so again, I think it's a, a really a win-win um, because A, you get to invest in, in real estate and, and, and you have to, you know, at least half the value of the real estate has to go into uh, fixing up that real estate. Um, but basically, I mean, it, it a, it encourages people to invest in businesses and, and real estate in these uh, blighted areas. Um, and B, uh, it, it really is a great tax-saving uh, strategy for people um, who have capital gains. So the big one being Puerto Rico, but you mentioned that it is also available in other states as well? Yeah, no, it's available in all 50 states. Uh, I think Puerto Rico is the crazy one just because literally the whole island is, is, is considered opportunity zone. Because of the hurricanes and things like that? Uh, yeah, the hurricanes are just sort of, uh, you know, the economic depression that, that, that really a large amount of the island faces. Um, but, I mean, if you recall, even, um, you know, Long Island City in Queens, which is actually a pretty, pretty nice area. I mean, it's not bad. Um, of Queens was, was an opportunity zone, and Amazon was supposed to come in and, and, uh, and revitalize that neighborhood or that area and, and put an office there. Uh, and then, unfortunately, there was some pushback from the local uh, state officials, so they pulled out. But, I mean, there's, there's, like I said, there's areas that aren't even that polite in the United States. They're designated opportunity zones. So, um, it's, yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, investment opportunity for people, as well as, obviously, a tax-saving strategy. That's amazing. I just love that, you know, especially with the offshore space, I, I suppose with the, with the domestic, but with a lot with the offshore space, there's so many tools in your toolbox you can use. You know, and 
once you start to understand these things and the different programs that are out there, there's actually a lot of wiggle room to legally reduce your taxes. You know, I think a lot of it just comes down to doing what the government wants you to do. You know, as terrible as that sounds, you know, if they want you to invest in oil and gas for a tax credit, okay, then invest over there. If they want you to invest in, you know, one of these economic zones that are, you know, under blight, as you said, then, you know, if you put your money there, then you're rewarded for it. So if you can play the game a little bit, you have a lot more wiggle, wiggle room. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're completely correct, right? It's, it's how you play the game. You know, any of the, the international investments or living abroad, it's not illegal. It's not against, you know, the IRS doesn't uh, penalize you for it. You just need to know um, what needs to be done, what are the requirements, and, and how to play. And then it's completely legal because that's what, you know, all the big corporations do, right? And, 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 and they obviously get the, the help of, uh, you know, the big four and, 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 and expensive, uh, you know, legal teams, et cetera. But, you know, everyday people could do it too. They just need to, um, you know, work a little harder, work a little smarter to, to understand um, the advantages and understand their rights and the opportunities. And, you know, we're afforded uh, these uh, privileges and benefits just uh, like the big, the big multinationals are. I love it. Brilliant. Vincenzo, this amazing conversation. I learned lots myself, and I'm sure my listeners did it as well. If they want to get a hold of you, if they want to reach out to you and find out more about what you do, where can we send them? Yeah, just go to uh, onlinetaxmed.com or globalexpatadvisors.com. Um, if you're looking for a free tax consultation, um, then go to onlinetaxman.com if you need your taxes done. If you're looking for a, uh, a more you know, in-depth structuring consultation, which is actually paid but a credit towards future work, then go to uh, globalexpatadvisors.com. But you know, anyways, feel free to reach out anyway to, uh, to us and we'll, we'll definitely take care of you. And I think that I've got some, some special uh, promo codes or something like that that I'll have to put on the website because uh, we do a lot of work together. So I'll make sure that those are under uh, Vincenzo's episode on the show notes at expatmoneyshow.com, and uh, you'll be able to claim those. And I'm sure if you let Vincenzo know that you're a friend of mine or a subscriber of mine, he'll take extra good care of you. Yes, please. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Vincenzo. We'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, it was great. Talk soon. Take care. I just wanted to mention to you about my book, Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. Now, I wrote this book almost four years ago, and it became a number one bestseller. And just recently, four years on, it has become a number one bestseller again. So there are a lot of people out there who are getting a lot of value from this book. And I get comments literally every day how this book has changed their lives. So I'm really excited to have done this, and I want you, if you haven't already, to go out there and pick up a copy. It is completely evergreen. The knowledge and the things that I share in it are timeless. Okay, there might be one or two programs that have changed with immigration, but the concept, the ideas, the mentality of being an expat and how all of these pieces fit together for the offshore markets, it is still applicable. So if you go to Amazon and search my name, Mikkel Thorpe, or Expat Secrets, it should come up at the very, very first. Otherwise, if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you should see some links on my website that will redirect you to Amazon in your region to pick up the book. 
So Expat Secrets, if you haven't had a chance to read it, then I suggest you do now. Support the show. All the money goes back into the podcast to produce this content for you. So I appreciate the support. And if you want to be a really cool human being, do me a favor and leave a review for the book. I really appreciate it. It really helps new authors like me to sustain and pay for all of this type of stuff. So your support is definitely welcome. That's it. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.